Choices. Life is about choices, correct? Do you know Starbucks uh, said several years ago, it was in the Wall Street Journal, it was in the New York Times, Starbucks said they could make a number of combinations up to 87,000 different types of coffee drinks. The next time you go in Starbucks, you're going to have a panic attack as you think about all your choices, correct? 87,000. All I know, I want the biggest thing you got in a caramel frappuccino. That's all I want. I'm always happy with 87,000 different types of drinks. Is that not incredible? Sure, it's incredible. Choices. We're going to be making choices in November about new congressmen, about people in the House, people in the Senate, about people in the White House. Life is about choices. And this morning, we're going to look at a great Old Testament story in Joshua 24 about choices. And, you know, a new year always excites me on a number of levels. But I think one thing it, it always reminds me is, is it's a new opportunity. It's a, it's a fresh page to some extent if, if, if we will capitalize on that and take advantage of it. But how this year is going to turn out for you and me more than anything else is going to be determined on the choices that we make or that we don't make. We can be sitting in heaven or somewhere else this time next year based on choices. We can be sitting here in church 50 pounds heavier or 50 pounds lighter, much more effective or much less effective or still running in place depending on the choices we make. And the most important choice that any of us make is regarding our God. And I want to challenge you this morning as Joshua challenged his people several thousand years ago to choose your God for 2012. Maybe I want to ask you, what God will you choose for 2012. In verse 15 of, of Joshua 24, a great verse. We know, we know the last part of it. But the whole verse is wonderful. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable. Now listen to what he says. If serving God is not your cup of tea, this is what you don't want to do, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the God's your forefathers served beyond the river, the Jordan River, are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But Joshua said, as for me and my household, this is the part we know, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Jewish people were at a, a very significant time in their history. Joshua is fixing to go on to heaven. And he is throwing down kind of a last charge to him, And he's saying, look, guys, you can theologize, you can philosophize, and you can spend a lot of time in the land of theory. But let me tell you what it comes down to. You've got a choice to make. You can choose to serve any God you want to choose. But you need to make a right choice. Now, let's define something this morning. What is a God? Many of us who grew up in church say, what's that? Isn't there only one God? What are you, what are you saying? Uh, choose your God. Well, a God by definition, is the main thing in your life. Now, this is, worth, this is worth writing down, or at least writing down mentally. It is your priority. 
By definition, it is what you cave into. Do you get that? It's what, it's what runs the show in your life. It's who you answer to, okay? Verse 15, he says, But if serving the Lord, choose who you will serve. The word serve here, a Hebrew word, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, literally means to worship or honor or be enslaved to. And this biblical word choose, choose who you will serve was a tremendous word that meant to make a distinction. It meant to make a deliberate, conscious choice. Do you get that? When he told them, listen, I'm choosing this. You need to choose who you're going to serve. What he was saying to them, what God is saying to you and me thousands of years later is this morning, and he uses the present tense this day emphatically, You and I need to make a deliberate choice about what's going to be number one in my life. What Glenn said this morning was so beautiful. If you're not a Christian or you're on the, the, you don't know if you're a Christian, you need to make a deliberate choice about what your God's going to be today. But many of us here today, we are Christians. But you know this. The God of the Bible is not your God this morning. He hasn't been in a while. He's not your main thing, your main priority. He throws down the gauntlet, choose your God, and he gives really two basic choices here. One is choosing the God of the Bible. We would say Jesus Christ today, wouldn't we? Joshua said at the end of this, but look, me and my household, we're going to serve Jehovah God. We're going to serve the Lord of the Bible. We're going to serve the true God. You know, the great news is this morning, you and I can make a deliberate choice to serve the true God. You know, a lot of things you can't choose. You did not choose who your biological parents were, did you? How many of you on the front two rows would have chosen differently? Don't raise your hand or you'll get punished later. Your parents are all looking now. Tucker, did you raise your hand? I'm teasing. You You didn't choose what country you were born into, did you? I promise you, you did not. Eight months in the womb, you didn't say, hey, let's move to America so I can be president someday. I need to be born here. You didn't do that. You don't have those choices, but you've got a choice on the God that you, you serve. And one choice, the clear choice is choosing the God of the Bible. But listen, here's the second choice. You can choose the gods of the world. Now look what he says in this verse, in this passage. He lays out some things which are foreign to us, but if serving God, if worshiping God, if being enslaved to God is not what you want, don't piddle paddle around. Then you choose yourself whom you'll serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose country we are living now, but I'm going to serve the true God. Now, who was he talking about to them? Well, probably three things. He very well may have been talking about their ancient ancestors in Mesopotamia and some of the false gods that they chased after. Certainly he was talking about 45 years earlier when they were in Egypt. These people didn't remember it, but they knew it from their parents and their grandparents. The Egyptians worshipped all kinds of idols and fertility gods. They were living in a land at this time where the people had multiple gods. Now, Now, folks... To you and me today, it seems silly to build a pole and worship that pole, correct? 
That's not a danger for me. I am not going to get the Christmas tree down and bow down to it and worship it and pray for it to bless me. I prayed for presents, but I didn't pray to the Christmas tree. Okay? I'm not going to pray to a fertility God. I'm not going to go out and pray to the sun or the moon. But you've got to remember, their mindsets were so different than ours. Having children was, was a huge thing in, in their, their world. It was a sign to them that God liked them. That's not true, but it was a sign to them. They were agricultural people, so the sun, the moon, the rain, they, they worshipped these things. And we look at that and we go, oh, that's so silly. I'm not going to struggle with that. But listen, we have replaced their gods with our gods today, haven't we? How many of you love sports? I love sports. I was going to be a coach before God realized I couldn't do anything else and he made me a preacher. I still love sports. I love everything that sports, so much of what sports includes and how it develops people. But you know what? Sports are a God in our country today. Sadly, we get more excited over a touchdown than we do over a salvation. Because it's become a God to many of us. What about money and power? Now, we would say, no way do I worship money or power, but yet we... We will miss church. We will miss family time. We will miss so much of life chasing after what? The dollar and the power and the influence. You know, the second most important thing in your life after God should be family. But a lot of people have that upside down. You know what? To some people, their God is their family. I saw this as a pastor at 23 years of age. I had people who... who in my little church, there's 25 or 30 at the time. Listen, when there's 30 people in your church, you know everybody's problems, I guarantee you. And when they have an ingrown toenail, they call you to come pray for it. And you're glad because you don't have anything else to do. You just don't like laying your hand on the toenail necessarily to pray, but you're glad to minister to them. But you know what I, I saw? I saw that I'd never really seen, I guess I wasn't perceptive enough before, but that a lot of people are going to put their, their family above the God of the Bible. And anything that you put above God is your God. But here's our challenge this morning. Here's what Joshua was, Joshua was almost begging with them to make the choice about. He was saying, choose. And what I want to challenge you is choose today to make Jesus Christ, your God. Choose this morning the God of the Scriptures to be your God. Yes, it sounds peculiar. Yes, it sounds strange. But there are choices that you have that God has enabled you to make about what's going to be number one. And He challenges us, pleads with us to make a choice to make the God of the Scriptures your God this morning. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. A, an exclusive, specific choice. He wants to be number one. Men, how many of you love your wives? Boy, you raise your hand. Raise your hand, guys. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Scott, Damon, raise your hand. Yes, Dr. Yep. Raise your hand. Not a good time to be asleep, okay? 
What would happen this afternoon? We'll use Clayton. Clayton, you go home and go, Mary, I love you. But I love this woman and this woman and this woman and this one. And I love you too, Mary. I've known Mary a long time. Clayton wouldn't see till Wednesday or Thursday. And then his eyes would begin to open from the, uh, the swelling as it went down. Your wife does not want to be loved like ten other women. Correct? <laughs> Thank you, ladies. I don't want my wife, Cindy, coming home and go, I love you and those other eight men I met this morning, I love them just as much. I'd say it's Sunday, there's football on, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But we talk about it at some point. And you see, Jesus Christ wants you to love your family. He doesn't mind you loving sports. He wants you to work. He wants you to make money. He wants you to do well in life. But he wants an exclusive claim on your heart and your life to be your God. Let me tell you what kind of choice this is this morning. Number one, it's a personal choice. It's a personal choice. I don't want to beat this verse to death and read it a hundred times this morning, but I'm, I'm going to read it several more. At the very last of the verse, Kyle put the verse on the screen. It's, it's, it is hard to read because so much, but he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a personal choice. You know, a lot of choices you and I are involved in aren't personal, correct? Sometimes your family makes choices, right? You make choices as a family. As a church, as a church, we make choices as a church a lot of times, don't we? They're they're corporate choices. As a country, you know, there was some silly movie a few years ago where one guy decided who was going to be president. That was a movie. That was fiction. You've got to say, but you, you are not going to determine who is going to be the next president by yourself. Again, oddly enough, you do have the only say in who is going to be God of your life. It's a personal choice. It's not a choice that anyone else can make for you. Got great wide ramifications, but it's personal. You're not a Christian this morning. You are not going to heaven based on your mother and father. God has no grandkids. You have to make a personal choice for Christ to be your Lord and Savior. As a Christian, many of us are running in place or we're running backwards. We need to make a choice that no one else can make for us. I cannot make it for you. This church cannot force it on you. You have to make a choice. It's personal that Jesus Christ is going to be your God in 2012. It's personal. I want to tell you a second thing that's very important. It's a public choice. It's a public choice. Joshua threw down the gauntlet. We won't read it again. Joshua threw down the gauntlet. He told them, choose who you're going to serve. And he didn't say, and for me, well, it's private and personal, but I'm going to choose to. I mean, he let them know loud and clear who he was going to, to, uh, to serve. Obviously, by the nature of a God, who, who your God is is the most important thing in your world. And the most important decision probably is not going to be something you're going to sit on, correct? Several years ago in Tennessee, I heard a story about one of my friends. And I knew when I heard this story, either there was going to have to be great repentance or they were going to be in divorce court in the near future. My, that my friend came home for Christmas with his wife. Him and his wife were having troubles. They bumped into some of our old college friends at the, the mall there in our hometown. 
spent 20 minutes talking, he never introduced his wife to his friends. Ladies, is that a problem? Yeah. The horrible thing is, is they didn't repent, and they were in divorce court not long after that. If you and I are ashamed of somebody, or if we're ashamed of God, there is a problem there. Amen? You see, God says, I want you to choose. I want you to choose me. Man, it's the most personal of choices, but it always moves beyond just me, and it becomes public. What can that mean? It, it means that you let people know. For some of us, it means that we need to get in the baptistry and make that profession. That's what baptism is. It's an act of obedience, professing publicly, Jesus is your Lord. It's little things like praying it before your meal at work or, or out at the restaurant. It's letting people know where you stand. Everybody in here probably knows who Tim Tebow is. I don't know what you think of Tim Tebow. I'll tell you what I think. I think he's wonderful. I think he's a great football player. Some people, I don't know if he's going to succeed in the NFL. He's done pretty well in my opinion. But one thing that you can say about Tim Tebow is he loves Jesus and he's not ashamed of it. And boy, has he caught in flack. I don't think he's, I don't think he's been flagrant or obnoxious. I think he's just been... He's just been clear who his God is. And isn't it amazing and sickening to see how the world, so many people have turned on him because of that. I want to tell you, if he was some weirdo religion and he was looking up and mumbling and kissing and eating the ground and that was part of his religion, we'd say, oh, respect him. Have tolerance. But in America, for some reason today, the one religion that's going to get shot at the most is Christianity. But you know what? You stand up if he's your God. Our country was founded on that, and we should never back away from that. He's your God. It needs to be public. And in Luke chapter 12, there's some powerful verses. Look what it says. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, Whoever's willing to own me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. What's that saying in a nutshell? It's saying this. That God's saying, if you really belong to me, you're not afraid to let people know. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to beat them over the head with your 50-pound Bible. But you let people know that you belong to Christ. And by the way, if you're ashamed of me, that is a clear indication that you really don't belong to me. And someday when it really gets down to the final report card, whether you get into heaven or you go to hell for eternity, part of that's going to be based on whether you were willing to own him here on this earth. It's a public decision. And the third thing this morning, it's a pressing decision. Over and over in this verse, he said... Choose who you will serve. Kyle, put the verse up one more time. Choose for yourself today. Choose for yourself now who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's almost like he's saying you got a 10 o'clock appointment and it's 9.55 and it's going to take you four minutes to get there. It's pressing. 
You say, well, why is it pressing? Because many of you have been to church for years and you've heard some preacher say, you need to decide for God today. Why is it pressing? Let me give you a few reasons. One is, is procrastination builds on itself. Psychologists have told us for years, when you delay a decision, when you put off a decision, it calluses your heart. It makes it harder to do it the next time. We don't realize this, but every time we say no, every time we say next week, we put a little bit of barrier between us and God. And after 20 years of doing that, you've got a huge barrier there, don't you? Procrastination leads to it never happening. I read a quote this week. It says, procrastination is my sin. It brings me much not in sorrow. And I'm going to do something about it tomorrow. (laughs) You see, Joshua said, choose today. Choose today who your God's going to be. Choose today. Don't delay because delay, delay leads to more delay. Here's another reason. Listen, your decision impacts other people. Did you know that? Joshua said, choose, I, I'm going to choose for me and my household. No, he knew he couldn't choose for his kid's decision or his wife's decision. But he also knew as the leader of the household, he was going to set the agenda. He also knew that his choice our lack of choice was going to make an impact on his kids. Mom and Dad, think about that this morning. Well, I really lived for Christ in 1989. I really lived for Christ in 2005. I really used to, man, I tithed, I served, I've done my time. What do you mean you've done your time? You quit doing all that when you go to heaven. Correct, Amendo? Whatever that means, but... You don't retire in your Christian life. And why you need to make a choice today is every day you and I continue on the wrong path, it impacts those we love the most. Let me tell you a third thing. Life's uncertain. Life is just flat out uncertain. I don't know if I would tell you this for sure, but if if we knew you were going to be alive, this time next week. I would, still, I would still encourage you, go ahead and make the decision this morning. Because of the psychological and spiritual callousness that happens when you delay the impact. But if we knew you were going to be alive this time next week, I'm, if you were really struggling, I might tell you, okay, you pray, you think all this week, we'll talk, you make your decision next Sunday. You don't know that. I want to share with you a list of, of pretty famous people We'll start with Kim Jong-il. You know who the uh, infamous dictator of North Korea? Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe Frazier. Great professional boxer back when I was a toddler. Dan Weldon, a race car driver. One of Indy 500. Steve Jobs. If you have an iPhone... Apple Computer, thanks, Stevie. Amy Winehouse, a pop star. Jack LaLanne. Look at that dude. He's probably 85 then. Everybody I just mentioned, his outfit was horrible. But 
the skin-tight jumpsuit, but everyone I mentioned, what, what are their characteristics? They were famous, well-known, probably had money. Every one of them died last year. Jack LaLanne died at 95, but I want to tell you, Jack LaLanne at 94 was in better shape than anybody in this room. He could have done chin-ups off the balcony. By the way, Jack LaLanne said his God was physical fitness. Doesn't serve you real well about one minute after you die, does it? Some of those people I mentioned, a lot of those people had the money to get the best doctors, the best medical treatment in the world. Some of them were 27 years old, 33 years old, and absolutely weren't thinking in 2012 they would no longer be here, but they're not. You see, why is it pressing? Because death is coming. And listen, the other side of this world is eternal. It is eternal. It is non-ending. It's interesting that Hebrew word in this verse, choose, normally indicates making a choice, listen, with eternal consequences. Did you get that? Make a choice with eternal consequences. Do you know in America last year, there were over 1,000 weather-related deaths. The, the, The weather guy I saw said that this was by far the most on any recorded history. 1,000 people, and most of those, and some of them may have died a few weeks later from injuries, most of those people got up that morning expecting it to be a typical day, and they died. Horrible tornadoes, Joplin, Missouri, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We saw many of those storms. In Japan, the tsunami, this was in late September, so I'm sure the the, the stats have have risen since then, but 15,849 people were proven to be dead from the tsunami in, as of September. People who got up that morning, and no way they thought they were going to be in eternity that evening. You see, it's just not a, a country preacher seminary thing that we're supposed to tell you it's a pressing choice to get a decision, it's a pressing choice because death is certain and it's very uncertain when it's going to come for most of us. And that when you and I die, our choice is set forever. You see, choosing your God is not just a good thing. Man, it's the most important thing that there is. You say, well, I'm already a Christian preacher. How does this apply to me? Listen, I, I think about this often. I don't want to stand before God as a Christian and have to give an account for living a half-hearted, weak Christian life. And Christian, don't you fool yourself. If you know the Bible at all, we're going to give an account to God how we lived. Do you want to die tomorrow and stand before God? You're going to get into heaven, which is the greatest thing, but then have to answer for why you piddle-paddled around as a Christian. And we're going to do something about it someday. All of you know who Billy Graham is. Many of you know his son, Franklin. Franklin's the one that's kind of taken over Daddy's ministry. Franklin's in charge of the Samaritan Purse, which we as a church have been involved with for for several years now. Franklin was not a Christian until he was in, in college. 
And one time, I, I don't know if it was around the holidays, but they were all home. Obviously, Billy Graham traveled a lot. Franklin was off in college. But Franklin came home, and he was having some struggles. He was having some problems. And Billy Graham called his son aside that evening, and he said, Franklin, you need to make a choice. You, you, you're, you, are, you are running in the middle, and you need to make a choice. Is the world going to be your God? Or is Jesus going to be your God? Franklin, you need to make a choice. Franklin Graham said that was the turning point in his life. And it was that night that he committed his heart to Christ. See, Joshua said it before Billy Graham. To choose. I remember hearing a a preacher say many years ago, we make our choices and then our choices make us. Did you get that? what Joshua was trying to tell him. Will you make the right choice for this year? Let's pray. If you're a Christian right now, I would just challenge you. I would encourage you to say to God whatever you need to say to put him back in the right place in your life. Christians, certainly it's, it's a daily choice for us that we need to choose to make Jesus our God. Make that choice today. And if you're not a Christian, where you're seated, will you pray with me right where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're the Son of God died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. I'm asking you to save me today. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, we're going to ask you to stand. We're We're going to sing. But the most important thing I want you to do is to make a choice. You're a Christian. Make that choice today. Starting now in 2012, Jesus is going to be Lord again. He's going to be your boss. Christian, maybe you want to come come with your family to the altar or come talk to a minister and pray and make that commitment. 2012, Jesus is going to be my God. But make it, Christian. Maybe today you would like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. It will help you in your walk with Christ to have a church family. One way you can do that is by coming in just a moment. Let one of these ministers help you. We'd love for you to join today. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you didn't, but you would like to. Listen, what a great thing. You will remember the rest of your life that on January the 1st, 2012, I gave my life to Christ. Make that choice this morning. Let's stand. And as we sing, you respond to Christ today. Respond to Him this morning.